Amen. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I walked in the sanctuary this morning singing. Just so joyous to be in God's house. Just thinking about what a Sunday morning represents, coming into the house of God and being with brothers and sisters and worship and in praise and hearing um, the word of God. And, and what a wonderful thing that is. This morning, we're going to continue in our series, All Eyes on Jesus. And the title of this message today is called to be a disciple. If you've been here the last couple of weeks or been listening in, you know that we've been speaking about um, Passion Week and the different individuals or different groups of people uh, that were there and all of them looking at Jesus and having some perspective about him. Uh, today we're going to find ourselves in uh, the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14, we're going to start reading at verse 17. But as we've been reading uh, these couple of weeks, we, we saw Pilate, and, and we talked about how you cannot wash your hands of Jesus. We have to face what are we going to do with this Jesus. And last week we spoke about the crowd, um, being in the in crowd and, and what that means and the influence of crowds and how crowds are made up of individuals and will be held individually responsible for what we do. And, and this week we're going to speak about um, disciples. One of the things that uh, Jesus said as he was leaving right before the ascension was to his disciples, he said, go, in, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the things that I can clearly tell you is you cannot make a disciple if you are not a disciple. But by trade, um, all these years I've been a plumber, and I cannot make another plumber unless I'm a plumber. So, so the question becomes, are we disciples, and, and what is it to be a disciple? So I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, we are in Mark chapter 14, and I'm going to start reading at verse 17, and it reads this way. And when evening came, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes, and it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread after Blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take this. Take this is my body. 
And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and, said to his, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and, they, and, he, began, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Father, we, we thank you for your word, Lord. And, and we thank you how um, when you give us your word so often, it is in narrative form. It's in, in the form of a story, not just any story, but events that have taken place in history. And we can all so identify with that, Lord, because um, our lives are a narrative. There are pieces of, of history that has happened with us and, and you being in the midst of all of that. And we have very defined moments in our lives of things that you've done, experiences that we've had. And, and we place all of those things before you, Lord, as we go into your word, Father, that has power to save, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that does a work in hearts, Lord. And we pray this day that we would leave here different than we came in, that we would understand, Father, through these narratives, through the power of your living word, Father, what it means for us and how we are to relate to you, understanding who you are, who we are, and how to live out what you've called us to live out. So we present ourselves to you this day with great expectation and say, have your way. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
So one of the things that um, I used to think about often was uh, these 12 guys walking around with Jesus. And, and, and I thought that to be odd because if um, there were a group of 12 guys like following someone around, um, we would have certain concerns uh, about that. We, we could think a, a number of things of uh, seeing that take place, but in actuality, in that time, that was not an odd thing at all. Um, actually, it was a, a common practice um, in, in that first century, and uh, just to have an understanding of what it meant uh, to be Jewish and to grow up in that environment. There were mile markers that, that were hit uh, for both men and women, but at five years old, there was um, an anticipation that you would be fit for Scripture and you would start to learn certain things. And by 10, there was another mile marker, and then at 13 and at 15 and 18, and then by 30, uh, often it was uh, a time for uh, very few to be able to teach. And, and, and normally what would happen is um, there was a thought that the highest thing that you could do um, is to follow a great teacher, a rabbi. And, and in that time, you know, the term rabbi was used a little different than it was used later on. Later on, it specifically meant the teachers of God's word, but in a sense, it was a, a word of, of master and, and things of that. And it wasn't only applied to the rabbi, but uh, to walk with someone who was a teacher uh, was a great privilege. So normally what would happen is a, a person desiring um, to become a teacher one day, would um, ask uh, if they could follow a teacher. And, and the teacher would assess whether or not uh, he would allow that student to follow him um, based on, does this individual have the potential to be like me? So if a teacher said, yes, you can follow them, uh, they were verifying something that may be in you uh, that could be produced over a period of time. So it was a big deal. But on the part of the one that was going to be discipled, um, it was a total commitment to the teacher. It was total devotion to the rabbi and spending all of your time listening and observing the teacher to know how to understand Scripture and how to put it into practice. That was um, the, the way Things were taught, and people had Scripture memorized. And, and those mile markers, that started from they were very young. So um, there were a group of Jewish people that knew very well uh, the Scriptures. They knew it so well that a, a, a way of teaching would be 
A teacher would say one part of something. There's often where Jesus made a statement. But because people knew the scriptures and what the surrounding context and the, and the scripture to follow meant, they understood more than just that little statement. It, it was to that degree. Um, I, 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 I fear that is very much lost in the church. But one of the things that we notice, uh, which was rare, but it happened at times, was Jesus as the teacher. Others didn't come and ask him if they could follow him. He picked them. He picked his disciples. And they were to, to be with him. They were to follow him. They were to live by his teachings, and they were to, imita they were to imitate his actions. Not only were they to do that, once he picked them and they decided and they came and followed him, everything else in life became secondary. He chose them to be with him so they could be more like him. How did he pick these 12 men? They were, they were hand-picked. And we see um, different places in the Scripture where that took place, one of them being in Luke chapter 5. And it says, starting in verse 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the words of God, he was standing by the lake of Garrison, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of the, the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners to get the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that it began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also was James and John, some of, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. One of the things that uh, the Bible clearly teaches us is that work is essential. Um, we are always called to work. The, the, the question becomes, what is the focus 
of that work. Because Jesus was a carpenter, but it's not what we know him for. Paul was a tent maker. Um, so other than that tent that's in the museum, we don't know about any of his tents. No, there is no tent in a museum. We know Paul because of the call that God put on his life and all that he did, which was work, which he was called to by following Jesus. So we know that these men that he called were fishermen, and we know that Matthew was a tax collector. But when we think about who they are, what, what they did that had any level of significance, it has to do with them following as disciples and then becoming like him. That, that has nothing to do with saying uh, to give up your current job to become a preacher or a pastor or a missionary. No. Um, but what it is saying is that that is not the primary reason that you are here. And, and the things that are going to matter have nothing to do with that. If I did not become a, a, a preacher and I would have stayed on my job as a plumber, at the end, how straight my pipe was, what buildings I built would have little effect. It would have no effect on eternity whatsoever. What would matter is the people that I interact with, uh, who I shared the gospel with, the, the ways that God had used me in that location. And that's the same for each and every one of us. Often, uh, when we think about following Jesus and, and the call that he has on our lives, we even set these, these hierarchies of, of what that means and, and how that plays out. Well, the pastor, like, he's like the number one guy, and, you know, like, I'm an usher, and, you know, how I see people, um, it just has to do with ordering the service, but it's so much more than that. And we even see when Jesus was there at the Lord's Supper. And right after Jesus said to his disciples, one of you are going to betray me, the next conversation was, who would be the greatest? How could, that does not even make sense that that would be the next conversation, but when you think about how our minds and brains work, I guess it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the text says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man to whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could be the one who's going to do this? And the dispute arose among them, as which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you, rather 
Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow. And it's so important for us to take uh, into account what Jesus did because he came to serve. And as his disciples, we are called to serve. You know, this is, it is not easy to be a disciple of Jesus. He never said it was going to be easy, but there is nothing else in life that matters. There is nothing else in life that is important. Because one of the things that we know about walking with the Lord is there are a lot of ups and downs. And we, we see that even often in the Scripture. In, in one instance, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter starts to say who he is. You are the Christ. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Only my father could have revealed that um, to you. And then he says to him, uh, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then Jesus says to Peter when he starts to speak to them about, I'm, I'm leaving. And I'm going to be suffering things, and, and I will be killed, and I'll be raised on the third day. Peter turns to him, um, takes him aside from the rest of them to get his mind right, and says, Jesus, that, that's, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. For you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. So in one instance, the same guy, he tells him, God revealed that to you. In another instance, the same guy, he said, Satan influenced you to say that. Wow. There's ups and downs um, in our faith. And one of the things that we have to be so aware of is that um, we, as walking with God, as being his disciples, are called to be stretched. 
One, one, of the, one of the things that I recognize about so many in the church is they have their own thoughts of who God is when we decided to do um, the essential Christian uh, beliefs and, and it came to the first subject, what is God like? That was supposed to be one week. <laughs> I think we're about to be on week five because it was like, no, 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 no. We cannot just cover that in a week. We could speak of that for the rest of the year and, and it wouldn't um, be enough. The, the, the thing is, people have these thoughts about who God is from either tradition or what they've read or what they've been told, and anything that's said to them that challenges them outside of what they already believe, they talk about how they feel, they talk about what they think instead of what the Scripture says. Peter received revelation from God, you are the Christ. That was supernatural. And then at the same time, he was influenced by the enemy to use what he thought or what he felt over and above what the Word says, because Jesus is the Word become flesh. Now, Jesus said something. He pulls Jesus aside and says, no. We do that often. The Bible says what it says, and it doesn't usually say it in one place. No, it says it here, and it says it here, and it says it here, and it says it here. And if you're going to be a disciple, what you say, what you think, how you feel does not matter. What does God say? What does his word say? Everything's not going to always make sense in your small mind and my small mind, but if God said it, that's what it is. And if you can't rationalize that in your mind, does not make it not true. See, because these disciples, those that walked with these teachers submitted to what was being said. Everything else became secondary. I'm not only going to, to hear him, I'm going to emulate everything he does. That's how carefully they studied these rabbis that they followed. And we call ourselves disciples. And when we don't like something, whether... The preacher said it, reading it in Scripture, and then they say to themselves, I don't interpret it that way because I'm not accepting that because of what I've been taught or what I think, or I don't want to be challenged on this. It's what the Word says. Wrestle with that. So often people come to me and say, you said this, 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 and this. And I say, and this is the Scripture to back it up. Tell me in the scriptures, something different than what I just said. Well, I think and I feel and before, 
tell me what the scriptures say that does not line up with what I said. If, if, if I said something wrong and, and I can't confirm it in the scripture, then we'll discuss that. But go to this. Peter was way off used by the devil as a disciple to say, that doesn't make sense to me. This is the way I feel, and this is the way I think, and Jesus, that can't happen. Now, if we think about what Jesus was actually saying, I've left everything. I'm following you. Now, someone else is taking care of the boats, the nets, the family, and you're telling me you're leaving? And, and, and then you're going to rise again? Like, what? Like that, that, that is challenging everything that I know about the natural way things are to go. That's okay. Because God said it. We need to wrestle with that. We need not to cherry pick what we want to follow and what we don't. They did not do that with natural men that knew the scriptures that they followed. How dare we do that to God and God's word? That will keep us immature and stagnant and not really knowing who God is, the way that he has revealed himself, not the way that we've shaped and formed them in our minds so we can do and say and act any way we want. That's not a disciple. God is always building his people. He's always building his disciples. He said to them, you will all fall away. He told Peter, the devil asked you for you by name to sift you like wheat. But when, when you come back from that, strengthen your brothers, when, when that process is over, God is always building his people. He told them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. And Jesus said to them, you all fall away, for it is written. When we face all of these things in our lives, recognize he's building something. Just like when we did um, the, spoke about Job and how God used those events for Job to come to the place to say, I heard about you. I read about you. Now, I, now I've seen you. Now I, I know. And that's what he is doing in us. So God is always allowing things in our lives that he is using as tools to make you more like Christ. He chose them to be with him so they would be like him. He chose you 
to be with him so you will be like him. And these spiritual battles, they're fought on our knees. They're fought on our knees. One of the reasons why Pastor Angelo, when he made announcements, was expounding on come out on Wednesdays. I used to work in a city. So Wednesdays is a tough day because it's like the middle of the week. And coming from here to the city, I used to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So that's very difficult. I understand that. But the best you can, come out on Wednesdays because the spiritual battle is fought on our knees. And it says something when we don't come to pray. What it says is, what do I really believe prayer is producing? What do I believe corporate prayer is producing? And that has to do with what we believe about God. Listen, I was happy when a couple of Wednesdays ago we had a worship night. And it was about this many people here. Not this many people here on a Wednesday night for prayer. That doesn't mean the next time we have a worship night, I haven't been to prayer, so, you know, I remember he put us on blast, so I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to come. No. All I'm saying is if something seems a little bit more um, uh, where it's like performance-based, even though our corporate worship together has nothing to do with that, but, you know, we, we are engaged in a certain type of experience, and, and we're willing to do that, but then when it comes to us being on our knees, which is the engine behind everything that happens in God's economy, and we don't place that as value, that we never come out to those things, there's something wrong with that. Jesus tells them that, hey, you come and pray. You come and you come and pray. And then he took his his closest people and brought them in a little further. You three, you you stay here and watch. You watch. And I'm gonna go over there and pray. And he comes back in their sleep. And he comes back again in their sleep. And he says to them, not like, hey, I needed you to pray for me. He said, so that you will not fall into temptation. And that time came and that time went. It's funny because um, when it came to, I'm going to do something physical, right? Oh, Jesus, you're going to die. I'll die with you. That wasn't going to happen. And he let them know that that wasn't going to happen. But the battle he asked them to engage in as disciples, hit your knees, pray, because it matters. That part um, was not done. But the beautiful thing about this is although Jesus said those things, he also said to them, I will go before you into Galilee. They were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
In John 14, starting at verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Filled with the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to go before you. As he was speaking to them at this Lord's Supper and, and things that were about to take place, what he was doing was getting them ready. He was preparing them for the future um, because he knew that things were about to, to change. You can come up, um, worship team. And he started to help them understand this is what I'm going to about, about to do, and this is what is going to represent your salvation. This is my act of love to you. Always remember this. So he broke bread, and he gave them wine, and he let them know these things symbolize my gift to you. These things symbolize my, my body my blood, which is shed for many, that they would be saved, that we would be justified, that we would be God's children. We're going to um, partake in communion. But before we do that, um, communion is for the believer, is for the disciples and we always want to approach God with a great reverence and remembering and appreciating all that he has done for us. And we all fall short of the glory of God. And we all need to be in a place where we're coming to him and we're repenting. We're coming into him. We're coming to him asking him to search our hearts and to go into different rooms, some that we may have had closed off. So before we partake in communion together as a family, just hear this song and, and spend some time just you and the Lord making sure you're approaching him with clean hands and a pure heart. And then we'll come and take communion together. Amen, family? The text we read says, as they were eating, he took bread. After blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Let's eat together, family. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. 
Let's drink together. Jesus picked his disciples. They were to be with him. They were to follow him. They were to live by his teachings, imitate his actions. And everything else was secondary. And he chose them to be with them so that they could be like him. When these rabbis believed that their disciples, their students, were prepared to be like them. They would commission them for them to become disciple makers. What, what they were saying is, as far as possible, you are like me. So now that you are like me, go and make people like you, which means they will be like me. We are God's people. We are his people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we don't have Jesus's divine nature. We have not lived a perfect life, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can speak his words, and we can imitate his actions. And we see that so beautifully displayed in Acts chapter 4. It says that Peter and John had been arrested because they had healed someone. John chapter 4 says, while they were speaking at the people, to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family after they had Peter and John stand before them. They began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if you are being, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing here before you healthy. Wow. What does it mean for us to be healthy? This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. For there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven 
given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. That they have been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Please stand so I can pray for you, family. Father, we thank you. We thank you as we've read through this text and, and, and watched how you handpicked your disciples. Paul was on his way to cause harm to your church. and You stopped him in his tracks. You called him to yourself. Others were operating in their profession. And you showed your majesty over even nature. And they went and followed you. Instead of catching fish in a net, became fishers of men. Thank you, Lord. Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor to the people. Heart was turned. He followed you. Each and every one of us, Lord, have a story of where you met us, Lord, going about our business. Some of us doing things that were normal and right, and some of us way off. You captured each and every one of our hearts, Lord. Let us not be casual, oh God about what it is to follow you. Because for us to take up our cross is to deny ourselves, to walk in your ways, to do what you've called us to do. Because you have truly chosen us so you could be with us, that we could be like you carrying out your work, Lord. Church attendance, reading the Bible, praying, manufacturing who we believe you are in our hearts and minds. There are many that do that. Many that even speak things in your name and will stand before you on that day, claim that they've done those things in your name, and you will say to them, I never knew you. We want to be your disciples, Lord, following you, imitating you with all of our hearts, Lord. So we present ourselves to you, Lord. Whatever you called us to be, a tent maker, a fisherman, a tax collector, that it would be for your glory, Lord, that we would walk in your ways, Lord that we'd want to be changed, that we would observe so closely, Lord, that we would accept challenges and what we think about you. You are the most complex being in the universe for any of us to just claim 
we know everything there is to know about you is impossible, God. But help us to truly seek your face, to read your word, to walk in your ways, Lord. So when we say we are a disciple of Christ, other people can look at us and see the evidence in our lives, Lord. That, that we would continue to grow in our faith because eternity is at stake. Ours, Lord. And those that you have called us to be instruments in your hands, let us never not have a desire to grow and learn recognizing who you are. We thank you. When we were unaware, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you called us, Lord, pulling us out of the miry, miry clay and placing our feet on solid ground. And we thank you, Father, that you are not done, but we can have a confidence he who begun a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. Be glorified in each one. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.